Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. So good to be with you on a Tuesday evening, a frigid cold Tuesday evening that wound up being uh, the end of a very, very packed news day. We have so much to unpack with you, our listeners tonight, and it just got a little bit more interesting. I'm coming live from New York City. Chris Hauselt, our executive producer from South Carolina, the mighty Thea Harper running this thing from the Brooklyn Bureau. We've got a Terrific show lined up. Uh, David Rothkopf is joining us again tonight. Um, he's CEO of the Rothkopf Group and the host of Deep State Radio. He worked in the Clinton administration. His new book is called American Renaissance, The Inside Story of How the Deep State Saved the Nation. It's a terrific book about Donald Trump and his four years. And what a fitting guest to have on considering, well, what's happening right now. The answer to the question, will Donald Trump seek another term in 2024, apparently has been answered, my friends. He, of course, lost the 2020 election after losing the 2018 midterms and really taking the party down a big, deep old sewer in 2022 twice impeached and the only person to have lost the the White House popular vote uh, two times in the last century. Well done. Well, he filed a statement of candidacy for a second term today. And now he is making an announcement on primetime TV. Chris, do we have the technology to uh, go ahead and give Donald Trump's announcement the solemnity and the reverence it deserves? All of the incoming administration and all they had to do was just sit back and watch. Inflation was non-existent. Our southern border was by far the strongest ever. Mm, And because the border was so tight, drugs were coming into our country at the lowest level in many, many years. Importantly, after decades of rising energy costs, Mm. the United States had finally attained the impossible dream of American energy independence, oh, no. which soon would Somewhere have turned there's a fact checker who's been hired for this. Dominance. And he's calling his wife right now to say he's not going to make it home tonight. For the first time in memory, China was reeling and what? back on its heels. You've never seen that That's before. News to China. The United States was outdoing them on every single front, and China was paying billions and billions of dollars in taxes. No, there was a tariff war, and you had to pay $28 billion of socialism to bail out our farmers. No president had ever sought or received $1 for our country from China until I came along, and we were getting hundreds of billions of dollars. Many people think that because of this, China played a very active role in the 2020 election. Just saying, just saying. What? Sure, that didn't happen. Instead of jobs and factories leaving America for China, they were, for the first time ever, leaving China for America. What? No, that's actually not true. And the Biden administration rug manufacturing Because of our historic tax and regulation cuts, the biggest in both categories in history, Bigger even than what Ronald Reagan was able. Okay, this is the part in our show where I say, wait a second, we're not CNN. We don't have to broadcast this bullshit. We don't have to fact check in real time. We don't have to air any of this guy's propaganda. He's not going to be president again. And we can make fun of him and rebuke him and talk about the real record instead. See, 
Isn't that nice? You hear it going away? You hear his voice getting shorter? Yeah, we're not going to carry it. Just that little bit. Because that's all you need to know about where the GOP is right now. It is not a good time for our friends in the Republican Party. And Donald Trump is here to make sure that not good time lasts well into 2024. It's time to do the show, and it's going to be a good one. We're also going to be joined tonight by the great Joe Sudbay. Let's begin. Now is the winter of their disarray. Um, It is really fitting to be recording this uh, and broadcasting live while Donald Trump is making his announcement and be part of a show that chooses not to air that announcement at all in its entirety, unless we're making fun of it. Um, And it's also been nice to have a national dialogue about how ultimately stupid this blindly, myopically selfish modern Republican Party has been. Don't be fooled by people who say there's a war between Trump and the GOP. Trump is the GOP. The GOP is Trump. The only difference is the career politicians have more impulse control than Donald Trump when they go before a mic. But they're all equally selfish. They're all equally craven. They don't really have any personal morality, and they don't really have that much of a legislative agenda. They are so thirsty for power, they will do anything, anything, including piss off the majority of voters in our democracy, which it is, and it still exists. And now is the winter of their discontent, disassociation, discombobulation, and disarray. Not since 1934 as a political party kept every state legislature in the country. Non-incumbent election deniers just went zero for 15 in the governor's races. And now Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell in the Senate and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy are drawn into battles for control over their own caucuses. The civil war Republicans have wanted for uh, for a long time has begun, and it's happening in the House. So Rick Scott today publicly confirmed plans to challenge Mitch McConnell for the top Republican gig in the upper chamber next year. And he's 69 years old, but in skeletal years, looks about 83. He informed his colleagues he was going to do this in a closed door party lunch this afternoon. He, he passed around a note. Uh, Fox News got a hold of it and Rick Scott confirmed the news in a tweet saying the status quo is broken and big change is needed. It's time for new leadership in the Senate that unites Republicans to advance a bold conservative agenda. Folks, there's no way to overstate how beautiful this is. They're turning on each other dramatically and stupidly exactly at the moment they should be coming together. I understand the frustrations of the Trumpers. They think that Mitch McConnell completely torpedoed the campaigns of all the MAGA candidates in the midterms. And he, if he'd only supported them more, he'd have the, he'd have the majority now. He'd have the Senate. They're going to blame Mitch McConnell, and McConnell's going to say what he said all along. You ran a bunch of knuckleheads, and that's why we don't have the Senate. Now, Rick Scott, who is the perfect face of the GOP, said, if you simply want to stick with the status quo, don't vote for me. This is the first official challenge Mitch McConnell has faced. Since he became the leader of the GOP in the Senate 15 years ago, he's the longest serving Republican leader in American Senate history. And he's got enough party support to clinch the election tomorrow. That's not going to be a problem. But think about this. This is Rick Scott. They put Rick Scott in charge of their Senate campaign money. The same Rick Scott whose firm committed the biggest Medicare fraud in history. The same Rick Scott who was fined $1.7 billion for ripping off Americans who made off with $300 million. This is the guy the Republicans said, hey, let's put him in charge of the money to get the Senate back. This is the guy who, who dropped the ball, screwed the pooch, bought the farm, and is now challenging Mitch McConnell. This is the guy who released that really toxic Rescue America policy plan that so many Democrats used in their ads, you know how beautiful it would be? They've been trying to distance themselves from Rick Scott all year because Rick Scott wanted to raise taxes on working families. Rick Scott wants to put Social Security and Medicare on the chopping block every five years. The Republicans came out and said, well, that's just one of us. We don't want to do that. That's not our policy. And now the guy that wants to do that is the first major challenge Mitch McConnell has faced since George W. Bush was still president. This guy ran the NRSC's finances into the dirt. This guy invested heavily in Colorado and Washington. Democrats won both of those states handily. He couldn't flip a single seat. All we've heard was red wave, red wave, red wave. And this guy couldn't flip a single seat. And he's the one who's challenging Mitch McConnell. Guys, it's kind of beautiful. 
He was responsible for picking the GOP Senate candidates, but he listened to Trump. And Trump's choices all lost in the swing states. This is your civil war. In their closed door meeting, Senator Susan Collins, according to Manu Raju from CNN, she was questioning the management of the NRSC. And she talked about the fundraising and all the money they spent. And that's Rick Scott. I mean, if he's mad at Mitch McConnell for losing Senate seats, shouldn't he fire himself? This this guy. I met him once. We were on a Fox News special together at the Villages in Florida. And I I really wanted to ask him, you know, are are you done trying to kill Harry Potter yet? He lost seats. And now he's trying to run the Senate. Rob Social Security wants to increase taxes on the low and middle class. So this is kind of beautiful. And, And, you know, Mitch McConnell actually had a challenger in 1998. And that was the year he beat Chuck Hagel to keep his spot when he was chair of the NRSC, the job Rick Scott currently holds. So reporters asked Mitch McConnell today to comment on the perceived failures of his party in Senate elections, the failures that some Republicans are trying to pin on him. But as a result of our own, uh, the perception many of them had that we were not dealing with issues in a responsible way and that we were spending too much time on negativity and uh, attacks and chaos, they were frightened. And so they pulled back. Uh, we, in two states, for example, <clears throat> excuse me, in two states, for example, got just crushed by independent voters, Arizona and New Hampshire. So we learned some lessons about this, and I think the lesson's pretty clear. Senate races are different. Candidate quality, you recall, I said in August, mm-hmm. is important. Mm-hmm. He ain't lying. And in most of our states, we've met that test. In a few of them, we did not. That's Mitch McConnell telling the truth. And with charisma like that, it's a marvel that they lost. Our number here, by the way, and you can call us in the evening, is 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT, including you guys who listen on the podcast and on demand and on the app. You're always welcome to call us live sometime. So in the House, Kevin McCarthy easily beat former Freedom Caucus chair Andy Biggs for the GOP's nomination for House Speaker. He It was 188 to 31. It wasn't close. But that's far short of the 218 votes little Kevin needs on the House floor in January. Every one of those 31 votes that voted against him is someone McCarthy is going to have to woo and coax and cajole by January 3rd when just a handful of Republican defections could stop him from ever getting that 218-vote threshold, and then who's going to be Speaker? There's already a theory going that the very sizable Democratic minority could somehow, using Hogwarts magic, get like 10 Republicans to come along and make Liz Cheney Speaker of the House. I don't see it happening, but the part of me that is a fan of fantasy and sci-fi really thinks it's hilarious. Uh, Here's Matt Gates the face of the Republican Party and large forehead, letting reporters know what he thinks about Kevin McCarthy's chances of becoming Speaker of the House. Which now, is, there, is there any chance you would support Kevin McCarthy on the floor of the House in January? No. In January? No. I mean, how many members would you say are in that same camp? It's a critical mass. So there's no way he would... Kevin McCarthy couldn't get 218 votes. He couldn't get 200 votes. He couldn't get 190 votes today. So to believe that Kevin McCarthy is going to be speaker, you have to believe he's going to get votes in the next six weeks that he couldn't get in the last six years. But 31 who voted. 36. 36 who voted against him in this team. Do you think all 36 will hold on the House? I only speak for myself. But I mean, what gives you, I mean, this happened to Pelosi, this happened to Paul Ryan. They were under 218 votes. They ultimately got 218 votes. Why are you so confident that he can't get 218 votes? The margin. In each of the circumstances you described, the margin was such that a coalition had to be held together that was in the double digits. This coalition So there you go. That's be. Matt Gates no, playing well. politics. Now, keep in mind, Paul Ryan had like a 247 seat majority when he was Speaker of the House. They'll be clinging to 222. And Matt Gates is playing hardball. So will the right. You're going to be seeing Kevin McCarthy making every promise he possibly can. And the far right fascist Trump wing of the party is going to make a lot of demands on Kevin before they agree to ever vote for him. Just look to enjoy that power struggle. And we'll try to bring you the minutiae without letting it get too excruciating here. But look, it's, it's very simple. You know why they lost? They lost because of the guys like Matt Gates. They lost because because guys like Kevin McCarthy keep trying to placate 
guys like Matt Gates. They lost because Mitch McConnell has no control over the nomination of guys like Matt Gates. And if you want proof about this, you don't need to look any further than what we saw last night. We were live when the election in Arizona for governor was called for Katie Hobbs. And I got to tell you, everything you need to know about what the GOP did wrong, you can see in the gubernatorial race of Arizona. I mean, she was polling better than Blake Masters. And a week ago, we've been talking about this. They were touting Carrie Lake as being presidential material for the GOP. Once she's certainly elected governor, then what, who knows what 2024 can bring? I was hearing about the DeSantis Carrie Lake presidential ticket all weekend. And the Arizona GOP didn't have a bad night. I mean, they won six out of nine races for the House. And, you know, they, the state treasurer, Kimberly Yee, the one who was not endorsed by Trump, she won by double digits. But Carrie Lake embodies everything the stupid part of the Republican Party does, the stupid, selfish, myopic part. And I think nowhere is it more crystallized than in her little quip about Senator John McCain. Remember when she was saying, we, we don't have any McCain Republicans in here, do we? All right, get the hell out. This was in December of last year, not too long ago. And this was pure Trumpism. Just keep on crapping on John McCain, even after his death. Mock his status as a prisoner of war and use McCain as your, I guess, little effigy for everything that the GOP party did wrong when they cared about good taste and civility. Here, here's a little bit of Carrie Lake's get the hell out comment from less than a year ago. We don't have any McCain Republicans in here, do we? It was the party of McCain. And it was, I know, it was bad. Boy, Arizona has delivered some losers, haven't they? But nope. we have some winners as well. We've got Wendy Rogers right there. And a resounding 24 And there you go. Vote. So the Arizona Wendy Rogers, of course, is a white supremacist. And that's who she likes more than John McCain. And look, it's fair to say, you know, when John McCain first died, after he had saved Obamacare, he wasn't very popular in the Republican Party. Although he really did it not to save Obamacare, but to save the Republican Party. But, but Fox News had a poll in April of 2019 while Trump was still attacking him after he died. And they asked Americans, hey, who do you admire more, McCain or Trump? This Fox News poll, McCain, 51% to 27%. Okay, Carrie Lake might know that beating up on John McCain goes over really well in right-wing chat rooms and Trump rallies. But that's how you get the right-wing nomination. Again, this is the problem Republicans have. They'll nominate someone so extreme who cannot win in a general. They've been struggling with this for a dozen years now. And I'm sorry, people in Arizona, they don't want to be told that John McCain sucked and they were wrong for supporting him all those decades. Carrie Lake didn't have to do it. But the meanness is too strong. And, and again, Republicans in swing states, they went with the election denialism, which nobody wants to hear. And the abortion banning. I mean, just last month, Carrie Lake was voicing support for this 1864 Arizona law that banned abortion except to save the life of the mother. Like, no exceptions for rape or incest. Arizona voters on election day said abortion should be legal in most cases. 62 to 35, folks. Arizona, 62%. Exit polls said abortion should be legal in most cases. Carrie Lake kept on attacking the media. These bastards back there don't want, don't want us talking about stolen elections. The Arizona exit polls showed 63 to 35 percent. Arizonan voters believe President Biden was legitimately elected. And 73 percent said they were confident that the elections in Arizona were fair and accurate. Carrie Lake did everything you're not supposed to do. All these Republicans that tried to put some distance between then and Trump, not Carrie. She had Trump come into a rally with her in October. Remember, she was photographed vacuuming some red carpet for him. Well, uh, only 17 percent of Arizona voters last week in exit polls said their vote was to support Trump. And again, she loved people like Wendy Rogers, who is a state legislator and spoke at a white supremacist conference. You know, here's the deal. Election denying, it doesn't work. Donald Trump's whole approach doesn't work. That's why we should want Donald Trump to get the Republican Party nomination. Carrie Lake thought she was a genius, saying, hey, I'll do the exact thing that Donald Trump did. I'll go for all of his hardcore right-wing nonsense, but I am good on camera. I'm attractive. I can come off as intelligent. And, you know, I thought she was going to win. 
I thought she had the media down pat. She has many years of lying convincingly on camera. But like the rest of them, she banked on a red wave that was never going to arrive. So what happens now? Well, here's David Jolly. He gave us some comments on MSNBC about what he thinks the Democrats' new strategy should be. I'd love to know your thoughts. ...in an even weaker posture. The second major thing that could happen, if you're Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi, you are going and looking at Republicans saying, is there anybody we can flip? If Republicans only have 219, could we possibly get somebody to change their party? You're also looking at, could there be a caucus of just three or four people that use all of that leverage to say we could swing the entire speakership here. Here's the bottom line though, and this is really critical because at some point these races will be called and we already have enough information for what I'm about to suggest. Democrats need to control the agenda unapologetically for two years. Joe Biden needs to give a speech declaring what the agenda is and say Republicans will invite you to the table when we want your Mm -hmm. opinion. And I mean that we we've gone from maybe Republicans win big to now they're not to now a split decision to now Democrats holding on. And it has this feeling like somehow a split decision is a win. This is not a split decision. This is a historic victory for Democrats where the ground is shifting in American politics and the voters for three elections in a row have now said we want to go the direction the Democrats are taking us. Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer need to declare victory, declare what their agenda is for the next two years and let the Republican kids in the playground of the House of Representatives expose their their juvenile behaviors over the next two years. Wow. Former Republican David Jolly nails it. So there you have it, friends. That's the playbook for the next two years. Bring it. Bring it, Republicans. Bring everything you got. Bring all your crazy, all your hate, all your anger. And if you liberals and Democrats and independent people, if you all ruin this for Donald Trump before he can kneecap Ron DeSantis, if you take Trump out of the running before he can bring a full GOP civil war, if you somehow find a way to terminate Donald Trump's campaign before he can lose the popular vote for a third time, I will never forgive you. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And welcome back. By the way, if you've enjoyed our recent conversations with Bob Woodward or last night's with uh, Sir Jonathan Price, where he talked about Brazil and the crown and Game of Thrones, you can hear all those on SiriusXM On Demand on the SiriusXM app or on our podcast. I am always thrilled anytime we can get David Rothkopf to join us here on the show. He is CEO of the Rothkopf Group, which is a media company that makes podcasts, including Deep State Radio, which he hosts. He has worked in the Clinton administration. He has worked all over the world. He's written many books, including Running the World, the inside story of the National Security Council and the Architects of American Power. His new book, American Resistance, the inside story of how the deep state saved the nation, is a book that takes place in a land where every federal employee must take an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And none of these people could ever have imagined that one day the enemy in chief might be a racist landlord game show host who was suddenly commander in chief. It is a fascinating and moving and inspiring book about why government of the people by the people and for the people matters. And it's a great pleasure to welcome David Rothkopf back to Sirius XM. Good to see you again. 
Very good to see you. Before we dive into it, I, I hope I'm not taking you away from any Donald Trump uh, third campaign announcement speeches. I, I know how much they mean to you. Yeah, well, um, you know, a lifetime of TV reruns prepared me for this. Um, <laughs> and and uh, this, this was certainly that. I watched uh, half an hour of it. That was plenty. Um, and I think mm-hmm. we're... We're, we should get ready for something brand new in American politics, which is the zombie American presidential candidate um, who is kind of the political undead whose goal it is to go out and eat as many brains as necessary That's to get it. elected. Because the only way you could vote for this guy uh, is if, you know, he or someone else ate your brain. Yeah. Uh <laughs> you know the the whole the whole presentation was lies or 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 really big lies or unbelievably egregious lies um and it was all stuff we'd heard before that's right so here you had this guy doing what no one in his party wanted him to do and um even he was bored with his own bullshit. <laughs> well, and it's not really his party, is it? I mean, he thinks he owns it, but it's nothing he's expect. He, I don't think he cares about the Republican Party any more than Elon Musk cares about Twitter, per se. But historically, it is fascinating. I know. I mean, Grant ran again after he left office. Teddy Roosevelt famously ran as a progressive and, and beat Taft by a million points. He, he lost to Wilson. I think the last time a former president ran for office again, post Grover Cleveland would have to be, I guess, Herbert Hoover, because Ford didn't actually do it in 1980. He just talked about doing it. So it's I, I mean, it's been done once before. Um, historically, it'll be very interesting. But I do think that this is going to keep Mitch McConnell a very unhappy man for the next couple of years. Yeah, well, I think Lucille Ball tried a Lucy show after I Love Lucy. <laughs> yes. Right. That was not yeah. a big success. Um, and, uh, you know, we've we've seen that sort of thing again and again, the the latest uh, the Sopranos movie, you know, was another yeah. manifestation of that. The Godfather three was another manifestation of that. This is just a sequel we don't want to see. And his party doesn't want to see it. And, um, you know, when he during his remarks tonight said, and I'm behind Herschel Walker. You could just mm-hmm. imagine all the GOP leaders in Georgia and across the country going, no, stop. Don't say it. Mm-hmm. Don't associate yourself with that. Because the last thing they need is to have this damaged candidate That's right. be associated with pure Trumpism because it's such a loser. And yet they all need the Trump voting base, which is why this guy is going to stay on our radar for quite a while, no matter what happens. And that brings us back to your book, because I, I, I love talking politics, but I, I want to talk about this book tonight, American Resistance. Um, it's so moving to read how these various government officials in its administration, and we don't necessarily agree with them on a policy level, but they, they really acted as guardrails to try to deflect some of his most insane or illegal orders or, or initiatives. As you write, they work together to keep a dangerous, unhinged, ill-prepared president and his closest allies from doing irreparable harm to the United States, its people, our allies, and to the planet as a whole. I think this might be one of the first books ever written to honor people that you don't necessarily agree with ideologically, sir. Well, look, I mean, I I hope it's not. I I think it's important for us to be able to respect people whose views we don't believe, uh, you know, necessarily because they act in an appropriate way. Um, uh, I, you know, it, it began, look, I've spent 30, almost 40 years in Washington dealing with uh, uh, people in the government in various capacities. And uh, I have to say, I have a view that is contrary to conventional wisdom, because most of the people I know who are public servants, who are civil servants, who are foreign service officers, who are intelligence officers, who are career military officers, are good people who are actually sacrificing yep. uh, their lives in order to serve us. You know, they're yeah. giving up 
the ability to go and make a lot of money doing something else, or in some cases, they're actually putting their lives on the line. Um, and you know, some are Democrats, some are Republicans, some are independents, some are completely apolitical. Uh, some are in the middle of the government, you never heard of them. Some are senior officials, you know, who were in the Trump administration, but who've actually served in other administrations who are professional. And, you know, they say uh, when you talk to them that they've never seen anything like the Trump administration, the chaos, the disregard for the law. Um, and they tell stories of the Trump administration. My book is an interview with 100 of them um, that are really shocking that, you know, even after all we've been through, you know, they boggle the mind. Trump calling up Secretary of Defense and saying, now we must attack North Korea. Trump yeah. going to the Defense Department and saying, let's fire on immigrants at our border. Let's shoot missiles at Mexico to stop the caravans that don't really exist. We saw him say, let's shoot bleach into our veins. Yeah. But but you know, we 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 didn't necessarily see him say, let's pull out of NATO. Let's mm -hmm. pull our troops out of Europe. Let's um not report the real truth about COVID so that it doesn't look as bad for us. And yeah. these people said, hey, we can't do that. We have to follow the law. Part of this system is that the Congress passes laws and the government has to follow them. It's not insubordination to follow the law. It's it's, it's, it's disrespect for the rule of law for the president to ask them to break the law. And so That's I right. thought it was important to tell their stories um, because not only did this happen under Trump, but now he's running again. And other senior Republican officials want to be able to fire people like this because they are a guardrail because they do prevent authoritarianism. And if we want to stop authoritarianism and protect democracy, we've got to know who's doing it for us. We've got to know what works. And that's why I wrote the book. Exactly. And, and it's thrilling, the revelations you have about how these civil servants chose to be the guardrails. I mean, I think one of the most shocking chapters is where you talk about how senior military, like, like James Madison and, uh, and Mark Milley, would accept orders from Trump, but then do everything they could to slow walk it and just make sure that nothing ever happened, much like the allegations of Don McGahn when he was told to fire Robert Mueller. They, they were trying to prevent the corruption of the military command and trying to prevent the corruption of the institution of the White House. Well, look, a military officer has an obligation not to follow an illegal order. It's not insubordinate not to follow an illegal order. So when the president of the United States says, hey, let's you know, let's drop the 101st Airborne Division into Portland to fight the George Floyd or the you know Black Lives Matter protesters. Um, that's illegal. And they you know had to stop it when there were intimations that he wanted to use the military um, to suppress the vote, put them out in the street. People like Mark Esper and others, you know, stayed on in their jobs despite real apprehension about the president mm -hmm. in order to to stop it and people like mattis had to use their skills as advisors to you know talk him off the ledge yeah. when he had absolutely lunatic ideas well it's also shocking to realize how department of homeland security had to deal with so many of these orders from trump because he was so fixated on the border we like to point out all the time the majority of undocumented immigrants are people who overstay their visas, but this was how Trump got elected. And it really is interesting seeing how the people in his circle tried in many cases to be mitigating circumstances. I mean, John Kelly initially, uh, Kristen Nielsen, when she headed Homeland Security. What kind of things did they do in to try to contain his more impulsive random choices? Well, look, you know, when he started in office, one of the first things he did was he said, let's have this Muslim ban. And he had a couple of his cronies, you know, go and drum up an executive order. Yeah. They announced it. They didn't tell TSA. They didn't tell the people running the airports. You may recall there was complete 
chaos there. Courts blocked it. They said, you can't do this. You can't keep people from entering the country on racial or religious grounds. And so it went back to lawyers and lawyers in the government said, you know, uh, Mr. President, you have to do this in a certain way. You have to identify a threat. We need to go and poll all the embassies. We will take, you know, assess the threat. We'll come back to you. And that stopped it, slowed it down. And it actually ended up resulting in the, 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 the quote, ban that they ultimately put in effect was right. against fewer countries than he wanted it to be. It was against fewer people than he wanted it to be. He was furious with that. Um, but, you know, it was and it was kind of boring, right? It's just kind of lawyers at the State Department, lawyers at DHS saying, no, we, we got to follow the law, Mr. President. And his people were like, no, we don't. Let's mm -hmm. add countries. And he's like, you know, I only want to let in people from places like Norway, which means, you know, white people. That's and right. um, uh, it was clear what his motives were. And they found ways to, you know, talk him off the ledge, just like just like they did when he said, hey, let's build a moat at the southern border. A moat. Thank it, you for bringing back the moat. Fill it up with alligators. I mean, you know, what kind of eight-year-old nonsense? Is, but, and, and I'm, you know, not being fair to eight-year-olds, but, but this is just crazy stuff. And time and time again, they, 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 they found a way around it. And one after another, whether it was Kelly, a distinguished four-star general, who made plenty of mistakes. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not like no, and, and yeah, you don't let him off the hook for that. Yeah, yeah, but you know, but 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 you know, he 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 ends his time there. Or Kirsten Nielsen, she made mistakes. You know, the way they handled the children in cages was reprehensible, but she did the right thing often. And you know, we, I think we need to be big enough to say, I see the mistakes. I condemn the mistakes, but I see what worked and I need to understand that because we may need that again. Well, that's what's so fascinating about the book, because you have these instances where he just comes out with these crazy things, like when he was fixated on the migrant caravan and just says, hey, let, let's launch missiles over the border into Mexico to kill these civilians, into our, our, our neighbor and trading partner. Um, other times, though, you you note how a lot of these career government employees, they, they had to struggle with it because they thought, okay, well, I don't agree with this, but there was an election. The American people had spoken. And you really do a great job in this book of going through, for many of them, the individual struggles they had, ultimately deciding, no, I've got to protect the Constitution more than one man. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of them in that respect were very courageous. You know, Marie Ivanovich, the ambassador in Ukraine, lost her job yeah. for being honest. Um, Alexander Vindman lost his yeah. job for being honest. The woman who worked in the Defense Department who said that we were not allocating the money to Ukraine that Congress had allocated lost her job. Uh, people like Kirsten Nielsen and others were denigrated publicly by the president, humiliated privately by the president. Mark Esper, same thing. Lots of these people. Mattis has been denigrated by the president, um, uh, ever, by President Trump ever since. Um, it, you know, there was a. And by the way, they were only partially successful. Of course. You know, certain whistleblowers um, uh, not only were were fired, but he replaced uh, inspectors general with his own people. At the by the end of the administration, he was putting stooges like Cash Patel and Rick Grinnell and some of these people into these big agencies to do his bidding. And and one of the things that you know I've tried to flag in the book is they realized the impediment these people posed to mm -hmm. their plans. They came up with something called Schedule F, which would let them fire a bunch. They put that in effect. Biden reversed it. But now it's not just Trump, DeSantis, Newt Gingrich and others in the party are saying, yeah, we need that Schedule F when we get in the next time because we want right. to get rid of this guardrail, just mm -hmm. like we got rid of the guardrail in the Supreme Court by packing it with right wing extremists, just right. like we got rid of, you know, democracy guardrails by either action in the courts or action in legislatures, they're systematically trying to get rid of the things 
that keep the minority from ruling over the majority in this country. Exactly right. And it's so scary to hear the campaign rhetoric we've heard now again tonight, because we can mock this whole deep state nonsense and and uh, and the zeitgeist does mock it. And it's ridiculous until you really get a sense in this book of the end that kind of talk serves. It's all about solidifying the perception that our government of the people for the people by the people. That's the evil that has to be stopped. And as ridiculous as the concept of the deep state sounds, it seems that it keeps on enabling this rancid anti-democratic movement within our own government. Well, yeah, I mean, the the idea of the deep state is very much like uh, the idea of fake news, right? You know, if the if the media reports the truth and the truth hurts, you want to discredit it. If there are people in the government who say, no, this is the law and you can't do that and that impedes you, you Mm -hmm. want to discredit them. Um, And so that's why this idea has been spun up and embraced. We need to acknowledge that. Uh, Frankly, I think it dates back to the big lie of Ronald Reagan, which is government is the enemy. Exactly right. And that lie has produced tons of damage, whether it's we can get rid of programs. And and why do we get rid of the programs? Not because we don't like the programs, but because we want to cut taxes for the rich. You know, or we can have stooges in government, the Tommy mm-hmm. Tuberville, or the Herschel Walkers. Why is that okay? Because we don't need qualifications. We want to get rid of people with qualifications. We just want yes men or yes women in the government. We want extremists like Marjorie Taylor Greene. And That's so right. only if government doesn't matter can you get lunatics like that, you know, make them acceptable to people like Donald Trump. And similarly, um, it it allows you to pursue things like this Schedule F idea, um, which takes away an important guardrail uh, and takes us a step closer towards authoritarianism. The book is American Resistance, the inside story of how the deep state saved the nation. It is out now. It is a great gift because it is an intensely patriotic and gripping read. Uh, David, I, I didn't get through half my questions. Can we schedule a part two with you, please? Because I want to go even deeper on some of this. Uh, anytime I find talking to you very therapeutic. Wow, that's that's fantastic. <laughs> I'm 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 just human Lexapro. That's all I am. What a pleasure. Thank you. We'll definitely get you back. Once again, the book is American Resistance, the inside story of how the deep state saved the nation. It is a fascinating and gripping read. Thank you, Mr. Rothkopf. We will be harassing you again very soon. Quick break. When we come back, your calls at 866-997-4748. Joe Sudbay joins us in hour two to talk about the midterm election that is still being decided. We'll be right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Steven in Kentucky. Is this your birthday? They say it's your birthday. Yes, it is, dear. Happy birthday. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. So honored to be with you on this day. Hi. Well, you did say that uh, Saturday night, well, let's just say that I'm the same age as Saturday Night Fever, but I, I like to tell people that I'm the same age as the love boat, but better for <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. But uh, I was remembering a song from that film. Do you remember Manhattan Skyline? Yes, I do. Yeah, that was one of the ones I did like from that film. Now, let me ask you, dear, have you ever interviewed Donna Pascal by chance? She's a marvelous human being. I don't know. I don't think I have. Don't think I have. Maybe you should get her as one of your 
guest at some point. Yeah, she's okay. a very ni- nice lady. Um, no, I was going to mention tonight, you know, a couple of other people that come to mind. Petula Clark's birthday, of course, is today. Yes. Well, she turned yes. 90. Down, I know. Down. She was 85 when she did our show, and she's just beautiful. Oh, isn't she, though? One of my favorite parts of her career, I know this is kind of corny to say, but do you remember, well, you were too young. You were only a year old, I think, at the time, This, ha- or two years, rather. But um, there was an Oscar, uh, at the Oscars, she and Sally Kel- Sally Kellerman was a little tipsy that night. She was singing uh, uh, the Thank You Very Much song. You know, what was that film? It was from Oliver. Do you remember that? Which Thank song is it? Much. Thank you very much. It's a wonderful end for me. Okay, I, yes. Uh, yeah, they were. And if I had a flag, I'd hang a flag out for every. I can't think of the rest of the. I, I never had the pleasure of being in Oliver. I know a lot of the songs from it, but. Yeah, yeah. But I, she was actually in, uh, did a skit from that for the, from the Oscars. It was Ricardo Monteblon, uh, Sally Kellerman. Um, oh, what's wow. the name? I can't think of the You're other way one. too hip for me tonight, Stephen. Oh, I don't know if I would say say that, but um, no, you know, I was one thing that this reminds me of what's going on right now with what you said about Poland tonight and about Iran was I didn't know actually know this, but when I was born, the day I was born, that's when uh, the Shah of Iran came to oh. the White House, and there was oh. a lot of protest about that. That was the start of. The Iran hostage situation. Yes, it was. Which which brought us a Ronnie Reagan, unfortunately. Yes, it did. And so that's what it kind of reminds me of when you mentioned Iran. You know, Rosalind Carter, in her autobiography, when Carter lost, she wrote, Damn Khomeini, damn, damn Khomeini. All of the understandable disillusionment of the American people fell on our shoulders. And yeah. so even she recognized it at the time. You know, oh, it was a horrible time. I'm old enough to remember those times and how just almost helpless Jimmy Carter seemed, which really didn't hurt him. You know, well, I mean, didn't help him. I mean, he hit. tried. He tried to have a rescue mission, which went horribly wrong. And he was just a punching bag for a whole year over this. And of well, course, all you- along, the Reagan administration was making a backdoor deal with the Iranians. Well, the whole thing really was rigged. a shame when you look at it. I think if Ted Kennedy had gotten the nomination that year, and I love Ted Kennedy as the years went on, I think if he had gotten the nomination in 1980 instead of Carter, I do wonder if that would have been a close election or perhaps maybe Mr. Kennedy would have even been able to overtake Mr. Reagan. I don't know. That's a good Uh, question. I wonder the same thing about Jerry Brown in 1980 as well. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, I forgot about Jerry Brown running, of course, that year as well, because Jane Fonda and uh, what was her ex-husband, the one who was the political activist? Tom Hayden. Tom Hayden. Yes, thank you. Mr. Hayden and Miss Fonda, I know, uh, went for Jerry Brown in the primaries in 76 and 80. But yes. I know when Carter got the nomination, they both went for Carter. And yes. Mr. Ha- Mr. Hayden was making a speech. Well, you know who else went for Carter that year was, who was the Black Panther? Bobby Seale. He That's was right. also one of the ones, I believe, that did too. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I think what a lot of the problems that we're having right now today, you know, when you look at the, the large class gap going on and you look at all the cor- corporations' money in yeah. political campaigns, all of this stems back to Ronald Reagan's doorstep. And even the ascendancy of Donald Trump, he, mm-hmm. the high rolling 80s, and I lived through it myself. I mean, I was, I have to say, I love some of the style of the 80s. And I'm going to tell you, John, I love Dynasty. I did. I preferred that to <laughs> Dallas. Okay. But I did. I did love Dynasty, and I think Joan Collins. She. I did love Joan <laughs> Collins, but I have to say, Diane Carroll was another one. I, I love Diane Carroll more than I like Joan Collins. But I, the first uh, Fallon. Uh, do you remember Pamela Sue Martin? I loved. I, I, I didn't really watch those shows when I was a kid. I'm afraid. <sighs> Oh, I tell thing. you, John James and Pamela Sue Martin, oh, if any of the other audience, I'm sure they probably, if any of them love Dynasty, I thought she was just adorable. And they got rid of her, and then they got in <laughs> Emma Sams in there instead. But Linda I had Evans, no idea. I, I have more respect for Linda Evans today than I did back then. She really, 
But you know what I would have loved? <laughs> I have more respect for me today because I'm learning all these things about 80s uh, network dramas. Um, you Steven, know what I would have loved, though, John, ahead. to be honest? Please. I would have loved Please. if they did a storyline on Dynasty where Alexis <laughs> and Crystal finally decided to put aside their differences to help Stephen. Stephen was the mm. gay son. Remember yes. when that... And, you know, to be honest, they both cared about Stephen. They both did. And okay. there was a scene that they did... After uh, uh, the second, hang on, I'm, I'm writing all this down, Stephen. Hey, go on, go ahead. When the second Stephen came on the show, I yes. thought, and I love the second one better than the first. But well, when he you know. came on, they they had his face. They did cosmetic surgery because he was mm-hmm. in an explosion. And uh, Crystal went to Alexis's penthouse, and they actually were civil to one another. Can you imagine that? But I'm going to tell you something. I okay, never did. You're like going to tell me something now? Okay, I, I got to tell you something. Chris, Chris just comes in. He tells me that the song "Thank You Very Much" is actually from the 1970 musical film Scrooge, starring yes, the late great Albert Finney. It's not Oliver. Yes. So well, I'm not I'm crazy. I'm sorry about that. I'm so sorry about. Yeah. No, well, listen. I, I just, I just, I'm, I'm glad because I thought I was going to lose a show tunes challenge. So I'm really glad I didn't. Well, you know, I'm glad that uh, that he said that because I just remember some of the lyrics, and I remember Sally Kellerman singing one part of it, and she was drunk a little bit oh. when she was singing it. But she, but I love. I actually Kellerman. got to work with her once. She, she, I bet she was marvelous, wasn't she? She was. Yes. Yeah, she, Stephen, she, listen, I, 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 I am so happy it's your birthday. I want to thank you for classing oh, up this show so many times oh, and being so wonderful so and so kind to us and kind to our whole team. And I just hope you have a wonderful birthday. I hope you celebrate all week long. And well, that John, can uh, I just mention one thing to you, yes, dear? Please. I wanted to just say a couple of weeks ago, there was a young lady after yes. me. You all were talking about <laughs> having a contest to see who could sound like me. Do you remember? I remember I someone a, made a joke about that, yes. You are, I think you are inimitable, but go on. Well, let me just say that I had to work very hard on my voice because I was always one of my shortcomings because I had a very feminine voice. And you know, in show business, you know, you have to be perfect. And I tell you, I, when I worked with an elocutionist, it took me five years to overcome my southern drawl, and it comes out every now and then, of course, when I especially occasionally, occasionally, I know to, I know to a trace of it, yes. But I tell you, it was a prejudice, it was, because I had people, I would have people call me ma'am all the time. And, of mm. course, I, I got used to it. I said, well, honey, I can be anything you want me to be, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, would, I would kind of, but it, but it was very upsetting for a long time because, and I'm sure there's a lot of other people that go through that, too, you know, sure. that uh, you're stereotyped one way or the other, simply because. Because of voice? Know. Absolutely. I, I went to see a oh, speech yeah. pathologist for my problems. Absolutely. And I think it's very, to me, with what the lack of talent pool today in Hollywood, and and not so much on Broadway, I think you have more talent there. I really got to hit a break, Stephen. Go ahead. Okay, dear. No, I just wanted to just say, I think anybody who works to overcome any sort of prejudice is a hero or a shero in my book. And I think think that we need to just... Yeah, we need to just do that. Well, dear, thank you so much. And you have, have a, a lovely day, oh. Steve. Have a lovely Cheers. evening. Thank you. You deserve a wonderful, wonderful birthday and celebrate all week long for us. Thank I you will. so much. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome 
Welcome back to SiriusXM Progress After Dark. I'm John Fugelsang. If you're just joining us, Carrie Lake's career is primed for a great on-camera job at Newsmax. Uh, Russia may or may have not launched a missile that may or may not lead to World War III. And Donald Trump is ruining every Republican's day by announcing a failed, doomed to go down in flames third bid for President of the United States. He announces it on the day House Republicans are in revolt against Kevin McCarthy and Rick Scott and some House Senate Republicans are in revolt against Mitch McConnell. Now is the winter of their disarray. So uh, with all this going on at once, I'm so glad to get one of the best broadcasters in the game to join us on the show. Now, I'm a big fan of Joe Sudbay, and we're very honored every time he fills in over here and uh, classes the show up and you guys get to hear, you know, how a real broadcaster who knows, knows what he's doing actually handles things. Joe's worked in politics and advocacy for over 30 years. He's had a front row seat to the way online campaigning has changed advocacy in D.C. And he's worked on everything from immigration reform to LGBT equality to labor and manufacturing policy. For the past eight years, Joe's had his own company, Sudbay Strategies, which works with progressive advocacy organizations. Joe will be guest hosting Thursday and Friday of next week. And he also hosts State of the States here on Progress. Mr. Sudbay, how nice to have you back. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me back, John. And thanks for that intro. You you oh, always, always make me feel <laughs> like I know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> well, I, I admire the way you, you class up our room. And I, I want to make sure that you've caught up on your sleep because you had a pretty late night last week on election evening. I have to tell you, it was so fun. I did the 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. shift, Beautiful. Uh, which would have been Wednesday morning. This is the first time I did it. I did it in 2020. I also did it in 2016. And let me tell you, it was a hell of a lot more fun this year than it was. I mean, I was yeah. giddy, I, I, I was, giddy, I was just Ooh. giddy. No, 20, 2016, I, I was doing a special for Sirius XM until midnight. And then I did an all-nighter on Good Morning Britain with Piers Morgan. Mm. Joe, I, they had me sitting on TV in between Ann Coulter and... Oh, I was Ann Coulter and uh, uh, oh God, Jerry, what's his name? The the the, the talk show host, and it was just the most surreal uh, evening. Realizing around a bunch of Brits, Jerry Springer, Jerry Springer and Ann Jerry Coulter, Springer. a reality oh show God. guy and a fascist. The night Donald Trump took over, and I got to tell you, seeing Fetterman winning at one thirty a.m. made it for a much nicer all nighter. Absolutely right. I mean, we thought that that was going to be a race that would take several days. I mean, remember back to 2020, we didn't know Biden had won Pennsylvania till Saturday. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know who I interviewed on that Saturday? We did live coverage. I interviewed John Fetterman. Um, He came onto the show and he was so great that week, like keeping us all calm, saying we're going to win. And uh, yeah, it was I, I, I have to admit I was fanboying. I was really excited. And uh, man, he just ran a terrific campaign. It was fun to watch. Had a lot looked like they had fun and he stayed true to who he was. He was authentic, didn't get caught up in the, uh, you know, the consultant bullshit and trying to change who he was. He was who he was and he won big. It was great. And, you know, Joe, I mean, obviously, the House is most likely going to go to the Republicans and we can talk about the devastating losses from Val Demings to Stacey Abrams to to Tim Ryan. But I got to tell you, among everyone I've talked with, it's just this incredible relieved feeling of a reassurance of patriotism, of just thinking, oh, my God, people who aren't just hardcore lefties showed up to vote. It wasn't just black women carrying democracy this time. Young people showed up. So many independents showed up. So many Republicans voted against Republican candidates. I mean, next to the people of uh, Ukraine, I haven't been more proud of a world population than I was of American voters last week. Yeah, really. I kind of have that feeling, too. It's kind of like we saved democracy. We we all did it. You know, it was in our hands. It wasn't you know, Kevin McCarthy with his hundreds of millions of dollars or Mitch McConnell or Stephen Miller, the white nationalist with their hundreds of millions of dollars running racist, horrible ads. It was all of us who said we're not that's not who we are. And, yeah, the Republicans might take the House. But, you know, what's really interesting, John, is, you know, I'm seeing estimates. It could be 220, 221. And the every bit of commentary you hear is, oh, my God, this is going to be a shit show. It's going to be a disaster. Mm-hmm. For Republicans, Nancy Pelosi had 221 members. She passed 
the American Rescue Plan. She passed the Infrastructure Bill. She passed the CHIPS Act. She passed the Inflation Reduction Act. She passed a lot of legislation that got stymied because the Senate um, was filibustering. You never heard that about her. You never heard that about Nancy Pelosi and her caucus because they were there for the American people, not for some sideshow and not to, you know, just try and be extreme enough to get on Fox News or OAN. So then let me ask you the million dollar question, Joe, that I've been dying to ask. What was what were some of the sweetest parts of election 2024 for you? Obviously, staying up late for Fetterman was great. But honestly, yeah. I mean, Carrie Lake, I, I, I'm going to have trouble being an atheist after Carrie Lake losing. I just kind of feel like God loves us and wants us to laugh. Um, what what has been some of the standout moments for you? Well, it was fun because, uh, like, like you said, that first night was really fun because we had Fetterman. I'm from Maine and Janet Mills won a huge win over Paul LePage, that mm. racist piece of shit who was Trump before yeah. Trump. And in Maine, yeah. um, Shelley Pingree won big and they kept the House and the Senate, which was there was some concern about that. And it matters because in Maine, the legislature elects the secretary of state and attorney general. So that was good. So that night, more uh, more uh, winning up in um, Massachusetts, the mm-hmm. first lesbian Governor, and then the second lesbian governor, Tina Kotek, out in Oregon. Tony Evers winning, that was a big win. And I have to say, then it was like we had like five election nights after that, because Friday night we found out Mark Kelly won. That was great. Catherine Cortez Masto winning in Nevada, that was a big one. And yesterday I had, I was hosting for Mike and I had um, Mario Yadidia on from Unite Here, their union. Had, their union knocked a million doors this year. They are wow. amazing. So I, I always felt like she was going to win because I knew Culinary 226 was on the ground. And then last night, I'm with you on Carrie Lake. That was so huge that she yeah. lost. And then Prop 308, um, which I mentioned as well, the Intuition mm-hmm. for Dreamers. I know the two um, young people, uh, Raina Montoya and Jose Patino, who got that on the ballot. They maneuvered it through the Republican legislature. They knew they couldn't pass it, but they knew that they could get it through the legislature to get it on the ballot. And they got it on the ballot. And last night I saw videos of them celebrating. And John, I was in tears. I love those. I love those um, two. They've become dear friends of mine. And and I, I, they changed the lives of people in, the, in their state, young people in their state. So that, for me, was one of the big ones. And then, of course, the state legislative wins in Michigan. Looks yes. like New Hampshire's like almost the Democrats could maybe pick up, but it's going to be close, at least very close. And Pennsylvania probably getting the House. So all that kind of stuff. It was just like there's so much. It was like so it was much. like Christmas. Then let me let me let me let me part ways with you with the final two big questions, Mr. Sudbay, that I'm very curious about your take on. Number one is, do you think we will see a small or a large candidate field on the Republican side for 2024? I think there are a lot. I think um, a lot of Republicans would like to jump in, but I think a lot of them are scared shitless of Donald Trump. Now, you you might see one of the normie, the so-called normies like Larry Hogan try to get in to say, see, we're not right. like this. And he'll right. get crushed because they are like that. It is Trump's party. And let's not pretend otherwise. Uh, Ron DeSantis, do you think he'll back down now that Trump's in the race or will he get in it and we can all buy our popcorn? Because I've, I've ordered, Joe, I hate to tell you, I've already paid for it. I have boxes of popcorn just to watch Trump on stage with all of his loyalists. I want to see Tucker Carlson run. I want to see Christy Nome. I want to see all of them. I mean, my, and I want to see Trump berate them all. Mike Pence, everyone who's ever loyal to Trump, I want to see on a debate stage and watch Trump berate them for their obedience. But will Ron DeSantis... Sign up for the slug faster. Will he wait like Lara Trump advises him to until four years go by? You know, I think after I think Ron DeSantis was was backing away. I wondered if the elections last week, he thinks the elections last week and Trump's major role in helping to pick some of the candidates might have weakened Trump. So mm-hmm. he may see an opening. I don't he think there's an does. opening, but. I, you know, look, they're all a bunch of egomaniacs, right? And yeah. they all think they're smarter and more savvy than Trump and yeah. that they can fight him. He will make mincemeat out of Ron DeSantis, but I'm hoping Ron DeSantis gets in for, for all the reasons you are. 
Because exactly. I don't think then, he'll win. I want him to be cut up into little pieces by Trump. And then the final question, do you think we will see a large or a small presidential field on the Democratic side for 2020? Well, you know, John, I would if you had asked me this question two weeks ago, I would have said probably a larger field. I don't think so anymore. I think I don't either. I think the decision is up to Joe Biden at this point. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I'm not a big Biden fan, never have been mm-hmm. <laughs> for a long time, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. I think he's done an admirable job as president. I really do. I think he has led us where we went the way we've needed to. Um, and, you know, if he decides he's going to run, I think Democrats will let him have it. Um, and I also think Joe Biden may say, you know, it's been a good run. I've put the country back on the right path. Yeah. I'm going to be 80 years old. I want to live my life. I don't know. Yeah. I, you know, and if he does that, he deserves it. And if he decides to run, uh, I guess, you know, he'll he'll be the nominee. I mean, we've underestimated him before. And, he, I, and I've said it many times. I like old Joe Biden better than all the Joe Bidens I grew up with. Yes. Elderly, 80 year old Joe Biden with student loan debt forgiveness and decriminalizing weed. OK, more of this guy. But I I do think you're right. And I think if he chooses not to run, he will have to settle for going down in the history books as one of the most consequential one term presidents in history. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it is really quite amazing all that he accomplished. And he accomplished it, as we mentioned, with the 221 Democrats in the House in a 50 50 Senate. Amazing. And he still was able to accomplish all of that. It's amazing. Joe Sudbay, I'm always honored to uh, benefit from your brilliance and expertise. What's the best way for our evil army of the night to follow you and keep up with your work? Well, for now, I'm on Twitter at Joe Sudbay. Uh, who, lo- who knows how stay long there. that no, will last? No, stay there. Let, let's stay I'm there. Staying. It's fun I'm watching, staying. watching a billionaire with a cup ends. in his hand. A billionaire with a yep. cup in his hand wanting cash. Yeah, sure. It's a great place. Yep. <laughs> um, but I'm also I, at Mastodon. I, I'm at Joe Sudbay at Mastodon.social. And I, I, I've liked it over there. It's kind of a, it's a, such a different vibe. And a lot of my friends are there. And I'll see how it goes. I mean, uh, I've always loved Twitter. I've met some great friends, some people who literally are my lifelong friends at um, Twitter years, you know, and um, learned so much from it. But God, watching Elon. I saw somebody tweet last week after he pulled one of his stunts and someone said, none of us should ever have imposter syndrome again. And it's true. (laughs) We are watching this in real time. Mr. Sudbury, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so much for being uh, such a great shining light on Sirius XM Progress's airwaves. (laughs) 